Amen. All right. Well, we're there in Leviticus chapter number 21, and we've been going through the book of Leviticus on uh, Wednesday nights, chapter by chapter every week. We're in our 21st week in Leviticus, and we are in the 21st chapter, and we've been making our way through. This is an interesting chapter uh, in the sense that it is uh, giving us the standards uh, for the priest. And some chapters in Leviticus, I've noticed, are extremely applicable to us today in our society. Other ones are a little less applicable, although we can still learn the principles from the chapter. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Lord willing, we won't be very long. Uh, we'll, we'll go through the chapter as quickly as we can. I'm basically going to do a couple of things as we go through it tonight. I'm going to give you an explanation and an application. We're going to go through it. I'll explain it to you, and I'll attempt to give you an application uh, that will work for us uh, tonight. If you're there in Leviticus 21, look down at verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto the priests. Now again, this chapter is dealing with the priests. The first part of the chapter is dealing with just the normal priest. And the latter part of the chapter is dealing specifically with the high priest. And it's given him standards to live by. He says, Speak unto the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say unto them, Notice what he says, There shall none be defiled for the dead among his people. Here, God is telling the priest that they are not allowed to be defiled for the dead, meaning they're not allowed to come. You would defile yourself for the dead when you came in contact or when you went near a dead body. And he's telling the priest that there shall not be be defiled for the dead among his people. Uh, Notice verse 2, but for his kin that is near unto him. So he He's saying you, you can for your near kinsmen, but not just for anybody. And notice who he defines as near of kin, verse 2. But for his kin that is near unto him, that is for his mother and for his father and for his son and for his daughter and for his brother and for his sister, a virgin that is nigh unto him, which hath had no husband. So he says, here's who you, if, if your father, your mother... Your uh, brother dies, then you're allowed as a priest to go and take care of their body and bury their body and mourn for them. He said, you're not even allowed to do it for your sister if she's married and has a husband that cares for her. He should take care of that. But he said, if you have a sister who is a virgin that is nigh unto him, which has not no husband for her, may he be defiled. So if you have a sister that doesn't have a husband, then you as a priest will be allowed to go and care for her body and be defiled for her body. Notice verse 4, but he shall not defile himself. And you say, well, why, what, what, what is the reason that God gives as to why? But notice he gives an interesting reason. He says, being a chief man. Do you notice that? Being a chief man among his people to profane himself. Now he's talking to the priest and he's basically said the reason that you're not allowed to go and defile yourself uh, for these people is because you are a chief man. He says you are a leader in, in a spiritual leader for these people and he said I don't want you to go and defile yourself. Now that was for the priest. Just the regular priests were only allowed to defile themselves uh, for uh, their near of kin. But notice as, and, and, and you say, well, that's kind of strict. Yeah, but they were, they, they were the chief man. They were leaders in their community. Notice how it gets even more strict 
the higher in leadership you go. Skip down to verse number 10. Just uh, We'll come back and cover the verses between here in a minute. But look at verse number 10, Leviticus 21. The Bible says, and he that is the high priest. All right, so now we're going from just a regular priest to the high priest, even a, a higher position of leadership. And he that is the high priest among his brethren upon whose head the anointing oil was poured. So this is a man that has been separated and anointed and unctioned for a certain task to be the high priest. And it said, because the, the, uh, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments. He said, you, you, you're putting on the special uh, high priest garments. Notice what it says. Shall not uncover his head, nor rend his clothes. Neither shall he go into any dead body. So you need to understand, when he says you're not allowed to defile yourself for the dead bodies, he's talking about defiling yourself in the sense that you come near them and you contact them. But he's even saying you're not allowed to mourn for these dead bodies because that's what they would do in the Jewish culture, this Old Testament culture. They would uncover their head. They would rend their clothes. And if you've read the Bible at all, you'll notice of the children of Israel and of the Jews that they were a very emotional culture. Have you noticed that in Scripture? Whenever they're mourning, they're not, they're, the, 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 the Jewish culture is very different than the American culture in the sense that we're very private people, but these people were very public in their emotions. And you'll find all throughout the Bible that when uh, something hard happens or a tragedy happens, you'll find them, you know, rending their clothes. I mean, which means they're literally ripping their clothes off. And they'll be wailing out loud. You'll read in the Bible where they'll take dust from the ground and throw it upon their heads and 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 they'll they'll shave their heads and they'll do these things in order they'll uncover their heads they'll do these things to mourn for their dead and, and there's nothing wrong with that that was just their culture i don't think you and i would probably do that uh to, to to today i mean you know we would definitely weep uh for for a loved one but as far as you know just ripping your clothes off throwing dirt on your on your hair those are things that they did but i want you to notice what god was telling the high priest notice verse 10 again and he that is a high priest among his brethren upon whose head the anointing oil was poured and that is consecrated to put on the garments shall not uncover his head nor rend his clothes neither shall he go in to any dead body nor defile himself for his notice now the the regular priests were only allowed to do it for the near kinsmen but the the high priest he's not allowed to do it nor defile himself for his father or for his mother neither shall he go out of the sanctuary nor profane the sanctuary of his god for, meaning because, you say, why were they not allowed to do this? Because the crown of anointing of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. So basically, God is telling these people, because you are a chief man among the people, because you are the high priest, you're not allowed to mourn in the same way that other people mourn. Uh, keep your place here in Leviticus. Go to the book of Proverbs with me just real quickly. Proverbs chapter number 25. Leviticus is obviously our place for tonight. You got Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. All right, so if you can get to Proverbs, that'd be good. Proverbs 25. And you say, what, what is the purpose of that? And, and uh, honestly... I don't know what a lot of these purposes are that God has for the things that he has them to do. I know that these things serve as a shadow and a foreshadow. But I can tell you this, and please understand this. Basically, almost everything in this chapter does not apply to us directly. 
Because we do not fall under the Levitical priesthood. We are priests, according to the New Testament, but we are under the priesthood of Melchizedek. So a lot of these things in this chapter aren't going to apply to you and I directly in the sense that we have to follow them. But what you can always find in the Scripture, because the Bible says all Scripture is given up by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. So the way that we can profit is when you look at the Bible, and you can say, well, maybe that doesn't apply to me directly, but there's a principle here. There's something that God's trying to teach, and what is that? And the, the principle that I think of when I read this, and I think of it often, and I, you may not see it uh, the way I do, but I, as a pastor, what I have learned in life, and, and let me go ahead and say this to the aspiring leaders in our church, whether you're a young man that wants to be a pastor one day, and Lord willing, and I know we've got several of them, and Lord willing, we'll have hundreds of men that'll come through our church and, and, and go and lead in ministry someday, and, and, and hopefully uh, we'll also have men that maybe will not go out into ministry, but they desire to be a leader within our ministry and to be that second man or be that uh, core uh, group that can say, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll be the, the Furas and we'll be the armor bearers and we'll help. And Lord willing, we've got those men here as well. And here's what I want you to understand. Leaders and in leadership, you, are not, you, you must be someone who controls your emotions. And I believe that something that God is teaching here is because basically he's telling the high priest, I don't care if your mom dies, I don't want you mourning and making a big show about your emotions. He tells the priest, you can do it for a near kins person, if it's your mother, if it's your father, if it's your brother, or if it's your sister that has no husband. But basically, if it's a cousin, you don't show emotion. If it's a friend you grew up with your whole life, you don't show emotion. And here's what I want you to say. God puts an emphasis in the scriptures about controlling your emotions, especially in leadership. And look, they can be legitimate emotions. There's nothing illegitimate about mourning over the death of a friend or a neighbor or a co-worker or a cousin or someone you felt close to. But here God is telling the priest, that you are a chief man. You have the anointing oil upon you. You have to live your life in a certain way. And listen to me, if you're here tonight, you're a man, you want to be a leader, you desire to be a pastor, you need to understand this for ministry. And they're, they're obviously the Levitical priesthood and the New Testament pastorate are two different things and we understand that. But here's a principle that applies in both areas. You must learn to control your emotions. Because look, a leader must be someone that when everyone else's life is falling apart, if the same thing's happening to you, you can just lead and be structured and be controlled and be connected. And look, when everybody else is just wondering, is the sky falling? The leader needs to be able to get up and say, you know what? Everything's all right in my father's house. And stand up and lead and not be controlled by his emotions. Proverbs 25 and verse number 28. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 25 and verse 28. The Bible says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. You have to purpose in your life to be someone that has rule over their own spirit. And look, if you're not that person, that's okay. Sometimes ladies will be someone that are not able to control their emotions. And that's all right. You know what? God created you to follow. And that's okay to be a leader, to be a follower. But if you're going to be a leader, men, you better learn to control your emotions. And sometimes even men 
I'll notice men that are not able to control their emotions. I'm not mad at them. I love them. But I just make a mental note, not leadership material. Because look, if your mom dies and your world falls apart, that's okay. You know, but if your third cousin twice removed dies and you skip out on church for six weeks because you're just so distraught, you're probably just not leadership material. That's what he's teaching. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if you're going to be the leader, if you're going to be the chief man, if you're going to have the anointing oil, you don't get to show your emotions. You don't get to mourn. You don't get to be out of control like everybody else does. And look, even within church, you know, sometimes around here, you know, people get upset with each other. You'll have somebody be mean to somebody's kids and mom and dad go crazy and they go berserk. And look, I get that. But you know what? Sometimes people are mean to our kids. And you know what my wife and I don't get to do? We don't get to go crazy and go berserk. You know, we have to bite our tongue and and just be patient. You say, why? Because we're in leadership. And that's what leaders do. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. So we see uh, an explanation here, but we also see an application. Go back to Leviticus 21. Let me give you another one. Leviticus 21. And I would just encourage you, if you're not that person, I would encourage you to begin to work on controlling your own emotions. Not everybody needs to know when you're upset. Not everybody needs to know when you're fighting with your spouse. Not everybody needs to know. Look, we need to learn to have some discernment to be able to come to the house of God. And look, major things happen. We get that. We understand that. We're not talking about, you know, big things. Obviously, we mourn, you know, and, and the house of God. And within the house of God, there are appropriate people. Obviously, you want people to encourage you and love you. But I'm talking about the silly things. Where it's just, you're the, you're the person who's always having, you know, a breakdown. You're always having a problem. Your, your life is always on the verge of destruction. You know, the Bible says he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Go, Leviticus 21, look at verse 5. So we saw this idea of dealing with death and the control of your emotions in regards to the priest. There's another uh, principle here that we can show you. Let me give you the explanation. Look at verse 5. He says, they shall not make baldness upon their head, neither shall they shave off the corner of their beard, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. They shall be holy. The word holy means sanctified. It means set apart or set aside. He says they shall be holy unto their God and not profane the name of their God. You say, why? Why, God? Notice what he says. For, he says, because... Of the offering of the Lord made by fire. Here's what he's saying. You as a priest make the offering of the Lord. So because you make the offering of the Lord, I don't want you to make baldness upon your head or shave off the corner of your beards, nor make any cuttings in your flesh. Notice the last part of verse 6. And he's saying, why? Why, why do you want them to not do these certain things? And notice he's talking about your appearance. They shall not make baldness, neither shall shave off the corners of their beard, nor make any cuttings. You say, he says, I don't want you to look 
like that. I don't want you to look. He's telling him, I want you to look a certain way. And the priest might ask, well, why God? And he says, here's why. Because you do the offering of the Lord made by fire. Notice the last part of verse 6. And the bread of their God they do offer. Here's what he's saying. You offer the bread of God. You offer the sacrifices of the Lord. He says, therefore, they shall be holy. And I want you to understand what he's saying. And keep, keep your place there in Leviticus. Go to the book of Romans with me. Romans chapter number 12. I know you know these verses, but let's look at them together. Romans chapter 12. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 12. And do me a favor. Put a ribbon or a bookmark in Romans. We're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Romans chapter 12. You say, what is it that he's saying? Here's what he's saying. I want you to look... A certain way. And he's dealing with their image, the way they look. And you say, why, God? Why does it matter whether they have some weird, you know, shaving off their head haircut or whether they have some trendy, you know, shaving their beard all trendy and looking all... Why does it matter if they've got cuttings in their flesh? Why does it matter? Earlier in the book of Leviticus, he's talking about not putting marks on you. Why does it matter if they have uh, tattoos? Why does it matter what, it, what they look like? And he says it matters what they look like because of the fact that they are serving the offerings of the Lord made by fire and they're offering the bread of the Lord. He said they're serving for God and God cares about the way you look. Look, today you've got a movement, even in fundamentalism, where people want to say, ah, it doesn't matter what you look like. You can just look like whatever. You have to dress up for church. Now listen, I don't think you have to dress, the Bible doesn't say you have to wear a shirt and tie to go to church, all right? But you know what? I think you ought to look your best for God. Now look, if your best is a tucked in collared shirt, then praise the Lord for it. But, but here's the thing. You say, well, well why, why does it matter? Here's why it matters. Because we are offering the sacrifices of God. Because we are doing the work of God. Because we're doing the work of the Lord. And God says, I want you to look a certain way. I want you to look your best when you're doing my work. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 1. I know you know these verses. Let's look at them together. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Notice what he says, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You say, well, what, what's acceptable unto God? What is your reasonable service? Notice verse 2, and be not conformed, and be not conformed to this world. The word conformed means to take the shape of, or to take the form of, or to, take, to, 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 to mold yourself after the world. Now look, I believe that as Christians, when it comes to our appearance, that we should not be conformed to this world. I don't think, look, I don't think your teenagers should be allowed to look like just every little other thug out there. You say, well, why does it matter? Because they're the priest of God. That's why it matters. Because they're expected to do the service of God. That's why it matters. Hey, that's why I don't get up here with a Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops and I just kind of share with you like Rick Warren. You say, why? Because I'm doing the work of the Lord. And God does care what you look like. He wants you to not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And throughout the Bible, God tells us that he cares about the outside. He cares about the exterior. He cares about the way that you look or the way that things look. Go to uh, the, uh, keep your place there in Romans, but go to First uh, Thessalonians chapter five. You can find all the T books; they're all clustered together. You got First and Second Timothy. For um, I'm sorry, First Second Thessalonians, First Second Timothy, and Titus. We're going to go to First Timothy next, but go to First Thessalonians chapter five. Here's here's another biblical principle: First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twenty-two. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twenty-two. First Thessalonians five twenty-two. 
The Bible says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Here's what, I, here's, here's what I believe the Bible's teaching. The Bible says, look, don't look worldly. Don't look like worldly people. Don't, don't, don't look. And today, you, you, have, you know, and look, you, you're going to, and I'm going to talk about standards at the end of this sermon, and, and, and I'll give you a little talk on that and give you some ideas. But I can't make your standards. I can't make your, you know, your, your definition. All I, can, all I can do is make my own standards and the standards for my family. But here's what you need to understand. You need to start making some standards in your own life and deciding, what, how am I going to dress? How am I going to appear? How, what, what image am I going to portray? Because the Bible says, abstain from all appearance of evil. And look, if you're walking into some, you know, some restaurant or some store or somewhere ever, and you got a bunch of thugs coming up to you and they're wanting to sell you drugs, you may not look right. You may look like a thug. You may, maybe you look like a drug addict. You got your little cool, you know, trendy hat and you got it flipped over and you've got your little baggy pants and then you're like, why do these people think, I, you know, why do they think I'm bad? Maybe because you look like that. I'll tell you this, I've never been anywhere in this country with a tucked in collared shirt and nice slacks and had somebody say, hey, you want to buy these drugs? <laughs> or some prostitute, you know, come up and offer me anything. You say, why? Because look, the way you look matters. Look, your kids, you had a, a lot. I'm not saying they should, don't dress them like pastor, but look, you, we need to make sure that people can look at you and they can look at your teens and they can look at your young daughters and they can look at your children and realize there's something different about these people. God says, don't follow the trends of this world. Don't keep, get some weird bald haircut. You know, if you're balding, then praise the Lord, all right? But don't go shave your head like Michael Jordan or that's what he's saying. Don't get some trendy, you know, uh, facial hair or whatever. He's saying, I want, and, and the priest would say, well, why, God? And he'd say, because the anointing oil is upon you. Because you're a priest. Because I want you to look different. So, look, when it comes to your image, don't be worldly. But when it comes to your image, don't be immodest. Go, go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. You know, 1 Thessalonians? So just, uh, you got 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. God cares about the way you look. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and look, look at verse 9. 1 Timothy 2, 9. And, and like men are also, that women adorn themselves in, notice this word, modest apparel. The word modest means free from ostentation or showy extravagance. He says, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. And look, God desires that as Christians, we dress in a modest way. What does it mean to be modest? It means you're not bringing attention to yourself. And look, ladies, you need to dress in a way. There's nothing wrong with dressing nice. Read Proverbs 31. The Bible says that she was dressed in a very nice way. And she was dressed in a very nice uh, 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 manner. But you know, she was not dressed in an immodest way. She was not dressed in a way that was uh, meant to bring attention to certain parts of her body. I can tell you she wasn't wearing a low-cut shirt. She wasn't wearing a miniskirt. It wasn't so tight that she had to get poured into it. You know, you, you said none of that is modest. Why? Because when you dress like that, you're dressing for one reason, attention. And whether it's just immodest in the sense that you're just revealing your body, or whether it's immodest in the sense that it's extremely showy, he says, with shamefacedness, 
and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly ray. And look, I can't sit here and tell you, you know, you just have to use some common sense. But listen, I come to church, I believe, dressed in a very modest way. I've got, you know, just dark gray pants on, a white shirt on, and a tie. I have a gray, a gray coat I put on. But I can't even tell you, like, just put on a shirt and tie and a, and a, and a suit and you'll be fine. Because some of you would walk in here with some red pinstripe suit, right? You know, with a feather in your hat, with red alligator shoes. And, and look, that's not modest. Amen. When you walk in the room and everybody's looking at you, that's not modest. And God says, look, your life, your entire life, including the way you're dressed, ought to be all about bringing attention to God, not to yourself. Amen. And you say, why, God? Why does it matter? Because you're a priest, because you're doing the work of God, because you are in leadership, because you, people are supposed to look at you as an example. Go, go back to Le- Leviticus. Keep your place. I need you to keep your place both in Romans and in 1 Timothy. We're going to come back to both of those. So put a ribbon bookmark in both of those. Go back to Leviticus 21. So we saw him dealing with death. We saw him dealing with image. I want you to notice he also deals with marriage. Dealing with marriage. Notice Leviticus 21. Look at verse number 7. Leviticus 21 and verse 7. Notice what the Bible says. They shall not take a wife. This is him talking to the priests. That is a whore. Sometimes people get offended when you say that word. But look, that's a Bible word. God God just said it. A whore. If if you remember 21 weeks ago, when we started the book of Leviticus, we learned that the entire book is something that God spoke to Moses. In fact, at the beginning of the chapter, verse 21, notice what it says. And the Lord said unto Moses. So God is just speaking this to Moses, and notice what God says out of his own mouth. He said, they shall not take a wife that is a whore. I remember when we were going through those protest things, I had uh, people wanting to do interviews with me, and, and I had this, these media people, they were like, we want to do interviews, and, but they kept cutting my interviews, you know, like whatever I would say, they would cut it to try to make me look stupid. So I told them like, hey, if you want to do an interview, it's got to be live. You want to do an interview? It has to be live. I will not do, I'm not going to let you edit my words. Just let me say. So I had, I think it was ABC 10 who agreed uh, to do it. And then they were asking me about some, you know, some person that was on the news talking bad about me. And I said, ah, oh, she's just a media whore. And they were like, oh, and they like cut it, you know, and they stopped it. And they're like, you're never allowed to be live on TV, you know, or whatever. And then other people were like, we want to do an interview, but you, you know, you have to, we have to pre-record. I'm like, no, I'll do it live. And they're like, you're banned from live because you said the word whore. And I'm like, it's a Bible word. And And I told these people, you play a lot worse things on your stupid TV than the word whore. God said whore, you have whores. God said whore, you portray whores. You know, so you can portray whores all day long on your stupid television, but when I use a Bible word, whore, you know, now I've got, you know, they got to beat me. They've got to, you know, censor me. It's like, good night, you're dressed like a whore. You know, it's like, what are you talking about? I say the word whore, and, you know, all your little newscasters are dressed like one. Leviticus 21, notice what it says. This is God speaking. So don't let this word of, of, you know, don't let these Bible words offend you. Whore, bastard. These are Bible words that God says. They shall not take a wife that is a whore or profane. Neither shall they take a woman put away. What does that mean? 
That means divorced. That's what the word term put away means. From her husband, for he is holy unto his God. Now look, these are not New Testament uh, principles. These, these requirements are not put on the New Testament. I mean, the, the putting away is, but... Um, you know, as far as marrying a, a lady that's a virgin, the Bible doesn't teach you have to do that. But he was telling, as New Testament believers, but he was telling the Old Testament priests that I want you to marry a woman. You're not allowed to take a woman that is a whore, neither a woman that is put away. Notice verse 8. Thou shalt sanctify him, therefore. You say, why, God? Why can't they do it? For, because he offered the bread of thy God. He shall be holy unto thee. For I, the Lord, which sanctify you, am holy. Notice verse 9. And the daughters of any priest, if she profane herself by playing the whore, she profaneth her father, she shall... Notice what God... He puts the death penalty on playing the role of a whore. She shall be burnt with fire. Talking about a, a, a young lady that's sleeping around that's going to bed with men that she's not married to. He says, in, in Old Testament Israel, under the laws of God, they would be burnt with fire. Skip down to verse 13, just real quickly. Notice what he says in verse 13. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow or a divorced woman, or profane or an harlot, these shall he not take, but he shall take a virgin, of his own people to wife. And again, this is specifically for the priest. He's telling the priest, you've got to marry a virgin. He said, I don't, don't take a whore. Make sure she's a virgin. Don't take a divorced woman, a woman that's put away. But he even says, don't take a widow. And look, there's nothing wrong with marrying a widow. Good night. In the New Testament, you, uh, you know, widows are allowed to remarry and all of that's laid out in the New Testament. But he's just telling the priest, I don't want you to marry someone who's not a virgin. Notice verse 5. Neither shall he profane his seed among his people, for I, the Lord, do sanctify him. So if you kept your place in Romans, go, go to Romans, but I actually need you in 1 Corinthians, so just one book over, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and let's look at one verse real quick. So that's the explanation. Let's look at the application. How can we apply that today? Well, here's an application for, for all of our young people, is don't be a whore, and don't be a whoremonger. Amen. You know, there's, this, this is not a bad word, virgin. You know, today our society wants to make that a bad word. That's a great word. That ought to be your goal in life, young people, is to walk down the aisle and to be a virgin and to not be a whore. You say, what's the difference between, what, what's a whore? Look, a girl that's just going to bed with anybody or a young man that's just going to bed with any young person, God says it's not something that Christians ought to be doing. 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse 18. I know we preached a lot about this, but, uh, but you know, it's good to just bring it up. Just because people, you know, forget it or don't want, it's just good. Let's just brainwash our children to make sure that our young ladies just, when they hear the word whore, they think that's not something I want to be. And when they see a whore, they, they say, I don't want to go down that road. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, the Bible says, Flee fornication. What's fornication? That's having a, a physical relationship before marriage. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. And you got to understand, the sins of physical relationships, you know, you perform sins and you lie, you're steal, you're doing things that are without the body, but he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. And you better understand 
That there are the, the sins that have to do with a physical relationship are you are doing things that are going to be with you for the rest of your life. You're sinning against your own body. It's not just, you know, I stole something or did something out, outside of yourself. You are hurting yourself, especially you young ladies. So, you know, here's a good application for you. Don't be a whore. Just, you know, decide tonight. Decide, you know, make it your goal in life. Make it your goal in life to come to the marriage altar pure and clean and virgin. And by the way, you dads, and I'm not going to preach this tonight because I've preached it before, but you dads, you ought to have a goal of your daughters and your sons going down the marriage altar being pure. Make it your own personal goal to make sure that that happens and that that's, uh, that's something that you can testify uh, to. So, so here's the application. Don't be a whore. But here's another application. Go to Romans. You're there in First Corinthians, so just flip one book over. Uh, go to Romans chapter 7. Here's another application. Don't get a divorce. Because notice he's saying, don't marry a divorced woman. He says, don't marry someone that's put away. Now listen to me. Look, I understand we live in a society where like 50% of people are divorced and remarried or divorced or whatever. If you're here tonight and you've been divorced, we don't hate you. We're not mad at you. We love you. Just don't do it again. All right? You know, just you're married to the one you're married to. Just say that's till death do us part. You know, forsaking those things which are behind. Just confess that as sin and God will forgive you. But look, just because people do it doesn't mean we're not going to preach against it. Just because people do it doesn't mean we're not going to warn the next generation because God is not God's will for people to get a divorce. You're there in Romans 7? Look at verse 1. Romans chapter 7 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know not the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. And he's going to use an illustration to prove that. Look at verse 2. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. That's why you come down the marriage altar and we say these words, till death do us part. Why? Because that's what God has ordained for marriage so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. And that's where the Bible is saying, look, if you're a widow and your husband died, then look, you're loose from the law of your husband. And in 1 Timothy and other places, he tells us you're allowed to get remarried. In fact, you're commanded to get remarried if you fall under a certain age. If you're 60 years old and up, then you are allowed to be a widow for the rest of your life. But if you are a widow who's 60 and, and below, God actually says that you should get married. And that's a sermon for another time. But notice verse 3, Romans chapter 7 and verse 3. So then if... While her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. Notice, it's adultery to get married or to get remarried after if, if the husband you have or the spouse you have is still alive. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So notice, if your husband dies, go get remarried. But if your husband's not dead, hey, it's adultery to go get married. So look, if you're here tonight, you've never been divorced, maybe you've never been married, just commit now that you're never going to get divorced. It's not an option. Go home and grab every dictionary in your house and just cut the word divorce out of every dictionary in your house. Just don't allow it to be a word that's even mentioned. And listen to me. When you are arguing with your spouse and Lord willing, you know, something that my wife and I have found uh, 
because we've been married now, I don't even know how long, how long we've been married. What's my wife? We've been married like 13 years, I think, 13 years. Somebody say something. I don't know where my wife, my wife's gone. I'm pretty sure we've been married 13 years. I think in June it'll be 14 years. But you know, something we have found and we're very thankful for is that the longer you get married, the less and less you argue. And look, and by the way, that's how it should be. And if you're arguing more and more, there's a problem there. You got you to work on that. And, and we'll try to help you with that in the next several weeks, uh, be uh, preaching on, on the family and things like that. But, but let me say this. You know, in, in, in it went, you, you need to commit this, though, in your life because inevitably you're going to have arguments in marriage. Don't ever throw the word divorce around. Just, just decide. Just decide. I'm never going to be so mad that I'm just going to talk about divorce. All right? Let that never be an option. I mean, kill the guy before you divorce him, all right? Because, look, it's just something that God does not desire. It's something that God that is not pleasing to the Lord. Go to 1 Timothy, if you kept your place in 1 Timothy. There's, let me give you one more application. So we saw the application about don't be a whore or a whoremonger. We saw the application about don't get a divorce. Here's another application. And again, I'm going to go back to talk to you guys that want to be pastors and that want to be leaders. Here's the third application. In leadership, your wife matters. In leadership, your wife matters. We, we have developed this idea, and I don't know where it came from, but it's, it's stupid. This idea where, like, the ministry is for the pastor and his wife just doesn't matter. Look, I don't know where you got that from, but that's not what the Bible says. And I'll just give you one example, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11. Here we're talking about deacons. And again, the, the, the structure is getting harder as you go from a deacon to a pastor. But in 1 Timothy 3.11, he says, Even so must their wives be grave, not slander, sober, faithful in all things. God is teaching, if you're going to be a deacon's wife, or if you're going to be a pastor's wife, it matters in, your, in your, uh, the, the, the relationship that you have with your wife. And let me just tell you guys that want to be pastors, your wife matters. Amen. It's not enough to say, well, I'm, I'm spiritual. And look, there are three areas, and I'm going to give them to you quickly. There are three areas that you need to be, have some discernment when it comes to your spouse. I'm talking to you men. You need to look at your wife. And be honest with yourselves as to where your wife is on, this, uh, on these places. Because look, if you're not, you're going to end up being a failure and you're going to be embarrassed when you have to quit the ministry because your wife just wasn't in it. All right? And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just trying to help you. Here are the three areas you got to discern your wife. Is she spiritual? Is she spiritual? The wife should be spiritual. And, and look, I understand that people's ideas of spirituality are different. So let me just explain to you what, what we mean by that. Because it says faithful in all things. You shouldn't have to force your wife to do things spiritually. You shouldn't have to force your wife to go to church. You shouldn't have to force your wife to read your, her Bible. You shouldn't have to force your wife to go soul winning. You know, I, I, never, I never have to sit there and tell my wife, you need to read the Bible now. I mean, my, my wife's read the Bible more times than most pastors. And I've never had to force her to. She just wants to. And, and look, let me, let me just explain something to you. And, and, and here's a great just, you know, lipness test. If they will not do it without you, that's a red flag. You know, when I was deployed, before I was a pastor, I got deployed to Qatar for four months. We were living in Sacramento. We were going to church in Vacaville, which is about an hour from here. And you know what my wife did for four months? 
She loaded up our two children Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and Saturdays, and she went soul winning. And you said, she did that with you, God? Yeah, because she was never doing it for me. She was doing it because she loves God. She would have done, she was doing, she was soul winning before we were married. And you know, when you're sick, sir, or when you, you know, something happens, you're out of town, and then your wife's like, oh, husband's not here, I'm not going to church. That's a red flag. That's a problem. And you say, well, how do I fix it? I don't know how you fix it, but you better have some discernment to figure it out before you go ruin some church somewhere because of your wife. Here's another area that you have to be, uh, have some discernment in, is not only does your wife need to be spiritual, your wife needs to be social. Look, the ministry is people work. And if your wife's not social, you've got a problem. Say, how do I know if my wife's social? If she's causing conflict, she's not social. All right? If she's just constantly having problems, argue. look, we all have problems with people from time to time that we need to resolve. We get that. But if it's just like every problem, the common denominator is your wife, there's a problem. If your wife is constantly isolating herself and not going out to people, she's not, that's not, she's not ministry mysterious. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. That's okay if you're just normally shy. But look, to be a pastor's wife, you can't just sit there and expect people to come to you. You know what you got to do? You got to go to people. A man that has friends must show himself friendly. And a woman that has friends must show herself friendly. And if your wife's not social, you're probably not going to, it's not, you'll, you'll make it in ministry, you just won't be successful. Because, you know, for a long time at Verity Baptist Church, and, I, and you're going to think I'm joking, but I'm literally not. For a long time, we had a group of women that were coming to church. They hated me. They could not stand me. They didn't even like my preaching. But you know who they liked? My wife. And it got us through like two years, you know, of ministry. And it's just the truth. And you know what? If, if people don't like your wife, you're going to fail in ministry. So just if your wife's not social. And here's the other thing you need to look for. She needs to be sold out. And she needs to be sold out to the idea of ministry. If they don't want to go in ministry, look, if your wife does not want you to go in ministry, don't go. Because when it gets hard, Look, you know, my wife is as sold out on the idea of Verity Baptist Church as I am. And in fact, I'll be honest with you, there's many a times when I'm just like on a Sunday night, I'm just coming home, I'm just throwing my coat down, I'm just saying, that's it, I'm done with these people, I'm quitting, and my wife's like, no, (laughs) we got to stick through it. You know, you say, why? You know, and and by the way, she's a help me, that's what she's supposed to do, supposed to encourage you. You know, don't be the wife that's just constantly kicking your husband when he's down, all right? But here's the thing. You know what? She's as sold out to this thing as I am. She's invested in this thing as I am. And if your wife just doesn't want to go in ministry, then don't go. They need to have an attitude. They, here's a wrong attitude for ministry where it's like, oh, that's my husband's thing. It's his ministry. He's the pastor. I'm just his wife. No, you know what? You're a team. And the Bible says, even so must their wives be great. You're saying, Pastor Jimenez, why are you saying this? Because you have a problem? I don't know of any problems. I'm just trying to avoid any problems. Jack Hiles used to say, you just, you just throw a fit before you have a problem, so you don't have a problem. And you know what I'd like to avoid years before we start another church? Uh, is, you know what I'd love to avoid is a guy that goes out for three months and then has to quit because his wife couldn't make it. So I'm just trying to give you guys some heads up. Start having some discernment about your wives and make sure that they're ready. And if they're not ready, don't push things. And be, be truthful with yourself because at the end of the day, you're the one that's going to be embarrassed. If you have to quit, if you have to go. 
if it doesn't work. Go back to Leviticus 21. And look, and, and work on the spirituality of your wife and work on the spirituality of your children and, and help them develop and help them to grow. Really begin to pastor your own family. Before you can go pastor anybody else, make sure you're pastoring your wife. Make sure you're pastoring your children. Make sure they're growing in the Lord. I'm just trying to help you out. I've been around for some time. I've seen things, and hopefully you'll take some heed to that. Leviticus 21, look at verse 16. Let me give you the last one. And this is probably the weirdest one, but we'll just go over it real quickly. Leviticus 21, verse 16. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, saying, Whosoever he be of thy seed in their generations that hath any blemish, let him not approach to offer the bread of his God. For whatsoever man he be that hath the blemish, he shall not approach a blind man or a lame or he that hath the flat nose or anything superfluous or a man that is broken footed or broken handed or crook backed. I like that word crook backed. I'm not, you know, I can only imagine what that means, but that's a cool word. Or a dwarf, or that hath a blemish in his eye, or be scurvy, or scabbed, or hath his stones broken. No man that hath a blemish of the seed of Aaron, the priest, shall come nigh to offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. He hath a blemish. He shall not come nigh to offer the bread of his God. Now notice what God is saying. God is saying, if you've got these physical ailments or, or blemishes or disabilities, you, you're not going to be a priest. But notice he's not just, you know, completely throwing them out. Look at verse 22. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. So he's saying, we're, we're, we're going to take care of their provisions. You know, you've got a flat nose. Well, you don't have to work. You know, you're going to get the disability as being a priest because he's going to give you the bread. But, he, but here's what he says. And I believe they were still working. They were specifically not allowed to do this, verse 23, only he shall not go into the veil, nor come nigh unto the altar, because he hath a blemish, that he profaneth not my sanctuary, for I, the Lord, do sanctify them. And Moses told it unto Aaron, and to his sons, and unto all the children of Israel. Now look, he's telling the people, if you've got one of these blemishes in your body, you can't be a priest that approaches the sanctuary or the veil or comes nigh unto the altar. And again, these things don't apply in the New Testament. I'm, I'm thankful that there's not a high requirement for being a pastor, okay? Because, you know, I'm closer to a dwarf than I am, um, you know, somebody else or whatever. But, but go, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. But, but here's the application. Here's the application that we could take. I grew up going to school. You know, I went to the public fool uh, system where they teach you how to be a fool. And you know what they taught us? Here's what they were taught us. Who's ever heard this before? They would teach us, you can be anything you want to be. I mean, anything you want to be. You, you're a little, little girl, you could be the next president of the United States. You know, they shouldn't be telling girls that. You say, I can't believe you say that. That's what the Bible says. All right? But they'll say, you, you can be anything you want to be. But let, and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but let me explain something to you. That's not true. If you're born a dwarf, you know what you weren't going to be during the Levitical time? A priest. Because not, and that doesn't make you a bad person. It's just not everybody is going to be able to do everything. And let me go back on the, on the pastor side. You know, on the other side, you also have this. You have women that want their husbands to be a pastor. And they're like pushing their husband. I'm like, you got to be a pastor. You got to be a pastor. Don't do that. I really want my husband to be a pastor. Look. Some people are just not going to be a pastor. That's what it comes down to. 1 Timothy 3, look at verse 2. Notice what the Bible says. Here you're looking at the pastoral qualifications. 
And again, it kind of applies because the priests were spiritual leadership. We understand that a pastor and a priest are two different things. But notice what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 3, 2. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife. Vigilant. By, the husband of one wife, by the way, means you've never been divorced. Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality. Now look, everything on this verse so far is something that's under your control. A bishop then must be blameless, has to do with the way you live your life, where, you know, you're not just this guy that we can constantly be accusing and thinking, you know, is, what's he up to? The husband of one wife, you get to control that. Don't get a divorce. Vigilant, you get to develop that in your life, to be vigilant. Sober, you get to develop that in your life. Of good behavior, and by, by the way, these, these IFBers now, another fad is they want to say like, oh, it's okay to drink, you know. Well, one of the qualifications to be a pastor is you be sober, all right? And, you know, so just stay away from alcohol and you'll be fine. And, and we get it that that has to do with being serious in life, and I get that too. Notice what he said, a good behavior, you, you get to control that. Given to hospitality, you get to control that. But notice these, these, two, these three words, apt to teach. You know what the word apt means? It's talking about an aptitude. It's talking about a talent that you've been given. You have to have the gift of teaching, according to the Bible, to be a pastor. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And look, today, people want to ignore this. And look, I, I believe this. And I know it hurts people's feelings. But you go to the average IFB church, and you know what you find? You find pastors that are not apt to teach. I'm not saying they're bad people. They they don't have the ability to communicate truth. They don't have a gift of teaching. It's not that they're bad. I, I mean, when we were at Regency Baptist Church, you know, Pastor Nichols was a very sickly individual, and he was just constantly not at church. And we had we were just... Week after week, we had to endure the most boring, the most, you know, I mean, my wife and I would go to church just out of sheer character because we, they, they just had these guys, you know, these retired pastors or these other pastors come in. They were just ramble. They had no point. There was no application. You walked out of there and you're like, I'm not even sure what, the, I, don't, I don't know what that was about. I don't know what he was trying to say. I, you know, the, the most spiritual thing you could do is just read your Bible during church so you can try to get something out of the Word yourself. And, you know, you find that all over IFB churches. But, you know, it ought not be that way because one of the qualifi- qualifications of being a pastor is that you're apt to teach, that you actually have an aptitude and a talent and an ability to get up in front of people and teach. And look, not everybody's born with that. So, look, if you don't have that, that doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you're probably not going to be a pastor. Or you shouldn't be a pastor. 2 Timothy 2.24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. And look, I, I do believe that people can work on their communication skills and they can become better public speakers. Absolutely. But look, you need to have an, some sort of an apt and an ability to be able to get up in front of people and teach something. And we're not doing a show up here, but you need to be able to hold people's attention and teach them in a structured way where they can actually learn and grow. Because that's why they come to church, to learn the Bible. Now, if we, if we were just one of these liberal churches that was all about the rock concert, then yeah, the pastor can get up for 10 minutes and say nothing and you'll be fine. But at a Baptist church where you're actually preaching the Bible, you have to be apt to teach. And here's all I'm saying is if you don't have that aptitude... That doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you're probably not going to be a pastor. If you're born a dwarf or crook-backed, whatever that means, 
or you know how to flat nose doesn't make you a bad person. You're just not going to be the priest. So I'm sorry the public school system lied to you. You don't get to just do whatever you want. You can be whatever you want. So Look, there's some, some people are just, you're not going to be able to go start a business. You don't have the aptitude, the character, the ability. Your life will be better if you just live as an employee for the rest of your life. There's nothing wrong with that. But you just don't try to force yourself into a mold or don't try and don't allow people to try to force you into, you know, where a wife's telling her husband, like, you got to be a pastor, you got to be a pastor. He may not have the aptitude to be a pastor. You may not have the ability or, you know, or, or you got to go start a business. He may not, it, it, it may not be good for him. So just realize, here's the application that not everybody can just do anything. And look, we can all get better and we can all try to do better. But let, let me just, just explain something to you and then I want to talk about standards. But let me explain something to you real quick. This is, this is the wrong idea when it comes to leadership. And this is what most people do, and this is why I believe most of us fail in leadership, is because we look at our weaknesses and we try to make them our strengths. That is a mistake. Look, you know what I try to do? I try to find my strengths and I focus on those. And you say, what do you do with your weaknesses? I hire people. <laughs> that have those as strengths. Because God gave me abilities. God gave, you know, God gave me an ability of, of administration. I believe that I have a talent for organizing things and structuring things and, and strategizing and having a vision. I believe God has given me that. I believe, you may disagree, that God, God has given me an aptitude to teach. You know, I'm trying to get better at it, but I believe that, you know, and then you say, what about the other things? I allow other people that have other strengths. Brother Stucky has a strength with math. I don't. So guess who does our accounting around here? I'm just saying, you know, focus on your strengths and, of, and instead of just wasting your tr- time just, you know, pounding your head against the wall, trying to make your weaknesses your strength, you know, as a leader, hopefully that makes sense for those of you in leadership position. Let me say this um, just as we finish. In this chapter, what we find is that God is giving us standards for the priesthood. Standards for priests. And, you know, when I was growing up, the word standard was something we talked a lot about. And I think we talk less and less about it. But I want to encourage you in your life and in my life to develop godly standards. And here's how a standard should work. Here's how you should do it. When we talk about standards, you, some of you are like, what are you even talking about? We're talking about standards in your life, kind of boundaries or rules for yourself, for your spouse, for your children, for your life. You know, where this is kind of the boundary. You got to have standards when it comes to your clothing. You gotta have standards when it comes to your music. You know, if you're listening to Limp Biscuit, you probably have no standards in music. All right? You gotta have some standards when it comes to, you know, just your life and the way. But, but here's how standards must work because you don't wanna, you know, become this, you know, uh, legalistic attitude, right? They always throw that in our face. You're legalistic. They don't even know what that means. But here's how standards should work, all right? You start with a biblical principle. God had these biblical principles. Uh, let me give you an example. Here's a biblical principle. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. That's, a bibl- that's just a verse. That's a principle that God gives us in Scripture. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Now, does that verse say, don't watch a- HBO? It doesn't say that. Does that verse say, don't watch MTV? It doesn't say that. 
But you start with a principle. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And then you develop a godly conviction. You say, what's a conviction? It's a belief based on a biblical principle of how you ought to live your life. So here's my conviction. Here's the principle. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Here's my conviction. That we should live our lives in a way where we're not allowing sinful, wicked things to come into our eyes. So you said, so what's your standard? Here's our standard at our home. We don't watch anything that shows nudity. We don't watch anything that, that um, promotes alcohol. We don't watch anything that, that basically is wicked. You say, oh, well, you're legally... No, see, we, we just have a standard that flew. It, it, we, we drew it. We start with a principle. You know, women adorn themselves in modest apparel. We start with a principle, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. We start with a principle, you know, look not thou upon the wine. We start with a principle, then we de- develop a conviction based on that principle. Okay, God doesn't want me to look at the wine, so he probably doesn't want me to drink it. God doesn't want me to look at wicked things, so, uh, you know, I, I, shouldn't, I, I shouldn't be looking at that stuff. And then you develop standards in your life. Because I'm not, because I'm not going to drink alcohol, guess what I'm not going to do on Friday night? I'm not going to go hang out at the bar. That's my standard. We don't eat at bars. You know, sometimes my wife and I are on a date, and they say, can we sit you at the bar? No, we'll wait. And here's the thing. You may have a different standard. I think you're wrong. But anyway, you know, you may have a different standard. That's fine. But I'm just saying, you should have some standards in your life. Amen. And when it comes to your standards, don't just have rules and tell your kids, here are all the rules. Teach your children. Here's the biblical principle. Here's why we do X, Y, and Z. Here's why we don't go there. Here's why we don't dress that way. Here's why we don't look at those things. Here's why we don't. Look, we, you know, we don't go to the beach. You know, we'll go to cold beaches like Monterey, you know, where it's cold. Nobody's swimming. We don't just go down to the beach. You say, why? Because I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. So you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to go hang out where there's a bunch of women walking around in their underwear. That's our standard. You say, well, where's that? It starts with a principle. You set a conviction. And then you have a scriptural standard. And you got to live. Here, what I love about this chapter is that God is just giving his standards for the priest. And you know, in your life and in my life, we got to develop biblical principles, godly convictions, scriptural standards. Let's bow our heads and have a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Lord, I pray that you would help us to just be learning and growing and understanding. And Lord, I pray that you would help all of us. Not, not to just do things because, well, that's what the pastor does but that we would all develop scriptural standards, that we would begin with a biblical principle, what does the Bible say, that we would develop a godly conviction based on what the Bible teaches, and that we would create some scriptural standards in our lives. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to just draw close to you and help us to realize that as priests, we are peculiar people. We are supposed to be separated. We are supposed to be special. We shouldn't be like the world. Help us to live holy and separated lives for your honor and your glory. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.